So I wanted to begin by telling a story. Many moons ago, probably it's been 20 years now, I'm guessing at least, I used to play a game with some of my friends. We would do a demolition derby of sorts with cars made out of Lego, all right? We would build a car out of Lego, and then we would line up across from each other on the kitchen floor, and you'd go one, two, three, and you'd release your car like this and send it flying across the ground, and they would come together, and the two cars would hit, and pieces would fly off, and it was awesome. And then you would grab your car after all the wreckage and the dust settled, and you would line up again, one, two, three, release, and you would keep throwing these cars at each other until one of them was so completely dismembered and it couldn't move anymore, and the one whose car was slightly more functional at the end would win. And then you'd rebuild them, and you'd go again. We'd do that for hours. And again, 12-year-old Braden thought that was pretty awesome, okay? Now, I learned something early on in this demolition derby saga of my life, I learned that one of the most crippling blows you could inflict upon your opponent was if you could hit them in such a way that it made the wheels of their car fall off. Because if the wheels are off, then it's immobilized, it can't go anywhere, you have your way, you win pretty much every round. So I got to thinking, and that was my first problem. I said, I'm gonna build a car where the top priority is protecting the wheels. No matter what happens, the wheels aren't going to come off, and I'll probably have a good chance of winning. So I started thinking and contemplating, and then I started tinkering with the Lego, and, and I spent literally two or three days building this car, okay? And I'm not very crafty, but I was, like, pretty proud of that. It was low to the ground. There was barely any wheels sticking out, but it had enough clearance that it could still go. There were blocks, like, around each wheel so that they were barely exposed in any place. It also looked really good. It was white with some blue like streaks through it. It was really cool. A few days later, a friend comes over and we say, let's do the Lego demolition derby thing. And he, he didn't have a car built. He said, oh, you gotta build one. So he took literally two or three minutes. I took two or three days. He took two or three minutes and built a Lego car. And I'll never forget, it was wheels, a flat bed, and then like six blocks stacked up on the front all in a straight line. Basically looked like a flat bed with a wall on one side of it, right? And I looked at him and I said, that's your car? Like, that's all you got? So I'm going to win like immediately. At least make it difficult for me. So I did the trash talk, okay? And then we line up. I've got my sleek machine. He's got this two-minute job. <coughs> Pardon me. One, two, three. They come together, there's an explosion. <coughs> Pardon me, I need a drink already. Never mind that. These cars hit, there's an explosion. The only problem was it was my car that exploded. <laughs> I think the wheels were the first thing to go. I have never seen a Lego explosion that big on the first hit. I was devastated. Victory was mine. It was guaranteed. And I think I knocked one or two blocks off of his, and that was it. I really have to cough. Pardon me. Enough of that. Oh, somebody doesn't want me speaking today. We'll show him. 
Anyway, I learned something during that. I learned that it was not the look of the vehicle that was the most important. It was not how strong it was supposed to be on paper that was the most important. The strength and the quality of that vehicle was determined when it bumped into an opponent and it met opposition. We've been going through the book of Acts together. We're in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, if you want to turn in your Bible there today. Acts 4, 23. What we've seen in the book of Acts is the early church. Somebody say, the early church. The early church was born, it was growing, it was thriving, stuff was going on, it was a great time to be a part of it, the Holy Spirit was moving, miracles, signs, wonders, people getting saved, things were going really well in the early church. But we read last week that eventually they met opposition. If you remember last week, what we talked about is Peter and John, two of the leaders in the early church, they healed a guy who had been crippled for 40 years, healed him. He stood up, walked, praising God. Everyone saw, they loved it. Oh, this is awesome. But then the religious people showed up and they arrested Peter and John and they threatened them and they said, don't speak, heal, teach, do anything in the name of Jesus anymore and then sent them on their way. This was opposition. Now the rubber has met the road. Now we get to see what the church is made of. You see, it's really easy when things are going well. When the wind is in your sails and stuff's happening in a positive way in the church, it looks great. But the true quality and strength of the church, I would argue, is shown when it meets opposition. And we said last week that when the Holy Spirit is moving, when God is at work, there will be pushback, there will be opposition. Why? Because we have an enemy and we're at war. That's how it works. And this early church, we're at a crossroads right now in Acts chapter 4. They're in a dilemma because if they continue doing what they've been doing, they're going to come into more trouble. Spoiler alert, we're going to see that in the coming chapters. They're going to be putting themselves in harm's way risking potentially a lot. This could really cost them if they keep going down this Jesus road. But alternatively, if they stop and they pull back and they just drop it, that's not a great option either because Jesus has saved them. Jesus has started this amazing community called the church. Powerful things are happening. They've been so changed and transformed and then filled with the Holy Spirit. They can't go back. They can't just stop. That's not going to work out. So neither option is real easy. There's no easy path forward, is what I'm saying, right here in Acts chapter 4. And I'm encouraged, though, as we read this text we're going to read today, what we're going to see is that God makes a way forward for them. See, I'm encouraged by this because, again, things are going well in our church. That's good news. Let's clap for Jesus for that. Things are going well. Okay? And like we said last week, we can expect opposition to come in various different forms. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know when it's going to come, but we need to be ready for it. And part of our being ready is grounding ourselves in the truth of God's word. And what God's word is going to tell us today is that God made a way forward for the church when they were under opposition, when they were under pressure. So, I'm sidebarring. 
Do you know that like two minutes before the service started, I was having no trouble with my voice at all? <coughs> I'm not kidding. Let's do that. Let's pause right now. Somebody pray for me. I'd love that. I receive that. Mm. Yes. Yes. Amen. Hey, thank you, Lord. That is one of the reasons I love being part of this church right here. I'm not kidding you. I'm blessed. Okay. With that, we're going to walk in that. That's great. Let's open our Bibles to Acts 4.23 then. All I want to do today is show you two things, two big things. Number one, I want to show you what the believers did when they met this opposition, how they responded, and I want to show you also what God did. Make sense? I want to start with what the believers did. So let's read Acts 4, verse 23 uh, to verse 30. It says, When they were released, that's Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Yeah, that's a cool section of scripture. And what I'm submitting to you today is what the believers did they sought the Lord together, okay? They, they were, the heat was on, they were under pressure, and what they did is they went for it. They sought the Lord, and they did so together. So let's unpack that a little bit. The first thing they did is, in seeking the Lord together, they prioritized being together. Kind of makes sense, right? If we're gonna seek the Lord together, we probably should be together to do that, okay? That's what they did. I love verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends, like, it doesn't say, oh, they were released, and then months later when they got around to it and did some other stuff. No, this implies they got released, and they went straight for their friends. That's community. That's relationship. It's important, prioritized. They did not go it alone. I don't know if you've observed this. A lot of times, human nature is that when we come into seasons of trial in our lives, or problems or issues arise, whatever they might be, Sometimes we bring other people into the fight instinctively, but I would wager that more often than not, when we come into a season of trial or testing, a lot of times we withdraw and pull back. That's what happens. And I'm saying that that is not the path God wants us to take. We do this thing as Christians, sometimes we're pretty bad for this. We go, oh, I don't want to be a bother to anyone. I know I'm talking to somebody now. I don't want to be a bother to anyone. So this problem that I'm having, I'll just pull back. I won't share it. I won't bother or trouble anyone. I'll just wait until the storm passes and then I'll kind of re-engage with people. Here's what the Lord told me to tell you, if that's you today. Cut the crap. 
And I said, do you want me to tell them just like that? Just like that, he said. So there you go, just the messenger. What that is, that is false humility. You're saying, oh, well, I don't want to trouble them. It's like what you're saying is, well, I'm not, you know, worthy enough, and their time is so valuable, whatever. You're actually not saying that, though. What you're saying is, is I'm above these people, and I'm not going to trust them with my issue because I need to look like I have it all going on, and if I show any dents in the armor, well, they're going to think less of me or respect me less. Cut that out. That is not the path God wants you to take. And, okay, yes, there is sometimes a place for being selective on who you share things with and use discretion and all that, but stop going it alone. Stop the solo act. Where in the Bible does it tell us to do the solo act? It doesn't. We need each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Some of you faking it in here today. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Tell them again. Tell them. We do. We need to be like the early church and follow their pattern and precedent. And when we come under pressure in our lives, we double down and we fight for community because we need each other. That's what happens here. That's got to be us too. So they prioritize being together. They also then pray together. I love this. It's not just let's get together and hang out, though that's a blessing and that's awesome, but they pray together. It says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. You call that whatever you want. I'm going to call that prayer. That looks like prayer to me. They're talking to God together. What's cool about this is the last time in Acts that it talked about the believers all being together and praying together, it didn't actually tell us what they prayed for. It just said they were praying together. But here, we get a good glimpse into what these guys and girls were asking the Lord for. So first of all, it starts out, they go with the vertical first. It says in verse 24, Sovereign Lord. You see that? They don't begin by saying, here's my issue, here's my problem, and have the verbal diarrhea that sometimes we have. And this isn't being legalistic. That's not what I mean in how we pray. But just notice where they begin. Sovereign Lord. Straight to him. Posture of praise. They're remembering who's in charge and who's in control. They start with who God is. I'm saying to you, if you have a need or you're under pressure or you're in a trial, a great place for you to start is by starting with remembering who God is. Just remembering and recalling the truth about God. Don't focus on your problem. Go to him. Just saying. That's for someone today. It says, you who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. They're just declaring truth after truth after truth. And I'm saying that when you declare the truth of who God is in your life, it grounds us. It reminds us. It actually does something in our souls. It's not just a mental exercise. It's a soul-level exercise. Declaring the truth of God. Start with that. Then they bring in the truth of Scripture. That's what it says in verse 25 to 28. Lord, who made everything, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. If we go to the next slide. For truly in this, thank you, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what's happening there is he references, if you go back one slide, please. He references... Why did the Gentiles, and then verse 26, that's from Psalm chapter 2. That's in the scriptures. That was written 
about a thousand years before this was taking place in Acts chapter 4. And what it says in Acts 2, in, or in uh, Psalm 2, in God's word, that the kings of the earth and people were all going to gather together and conspire against the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed is Jesus, they go on to say. People were against Jesus. Right? It talks about Herod and Pontius Pilate. We can read about all that in the Gospels, how Jesus was treated and, and, and harassed, and people went after him and set themselves against them. So the disciples, the believers, they're reading this, and they're going, oh, right, that did happen. And oh, right, Jesus told us that if they hated him, they're going to hate us as well. So you can just see the gears spinning, the wheels turning in their mind. And what they're realizing is the predicament that they are in, God predicted it long before it ever happened. This was in the word of God. This is the will of God that it happened this way. And when they realize that, they're realizing that they're directly in the will of God. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm in trouble. God, where did I go wrong? Sometimes we're in trouble because we do dumb stuff and we go against what the Lord would want us to do, for sure. But sometimes it's God's will that you would end up in the trial. This is exactly the path he wanted them on. It's not necessarily that you did anything wrong in particular. Again, we have an enemy. We're at war. And when we do the right thing, we'll be picked on and persecuted for it. That's what the Bible says clearly. But here's my point. When you realize that you are in the will of God, such as they did here, Right? It happened exactly how the Lord said it was going to happen. Even in a season of trial, that brings peace. Now, it doesn't make the problem go away necessarily. Right? Just because if you're in a season of trial and testing and, and uh, pressure, and you pray to the Lord and you discern from him that, oh, this is right where he wants me, your problem might still persist. However, it brings peace to know that God is still in control. Somebody knows exactly what I'm talking about in here. And they got there by bringing in the word. Then, I love this, verse 29, they ask for boldness. I love this. Give us boldness to continue to speak the word. I love that very much. This is the main ask in this text. This is the main thing they're looking for. They started with the vertical, they meditated on the word, but this is where they were going, asking for boldness. Now, if you remember, boldness is kind of what got them into this situation in the first place. So just think about it logically. Okay, we went out and we were bold in Jesus' name. We got in trouble, and now we want more boldness. There's a part of our brains, the fleshly part of our brains, that goes, well, that doesn't make any sense. However, this is the will of God. God wants them, true or false, God wants them out there being bold. True or false, God wants us out there being bold. So we need to echo this right here in our lives. Lord, give us boldness. And even though, like they clearly know this could put them in hot water. They clearly know this could lead to more trouble. And yet they ask for it anyway. You know what that tells me? This is a convicting moment for me. That proves that they love and value Jesus more than they value their own lives and their comfort and their convenience. It got as quiet as I expected it would when I said that because it's not about us, sister, right here. Jesus. Like, they're going to end up in trouble. We're going to read, as we go through Acts, these guys come into severe persecution. There's jail. Some of them are beaten. Some of them are even killed. 
but Jesus is better. Jesus is worth it. And I mean, that's a matter of introspection for us. I want, don't answer this out loud, but I want you to ask the Lord right now, God, is that my heart? Is that how my priorities are stacked up? Oh, Lord, help us on that. Help me today. <laughs> I want you to do me a favor. Pull your phones out. You're allowed to have your phone out in church right now. Take a picture of that screen right there, if you would please. It's, if you don't have a phone, it's okay. Capture it in your memory. Just take a picture of that right there. Lord, help us to come into that heart right there. That does not come from the flesh. That comes from the spirit. And we need that. Okay, thank you. Moving on. This is not a hard and fast rule, what I'm about to say. But sometimes one way that you can tell if you're praying into God's will in your life is if your prayers, if you're praying for things that make your life more difficult. You know what I mean? This is not the easy path. This is not the bless me with on-sale Doritos that I can go and buy and have them on the couch and, and watch Netflix, right? This is the hard path, and they're praying it. They want it. They're asking God for it. That's a sign that the Spirit is in them and is leading them because God does not call us to a life of comfort and convenience and pleasure. Those things all have their place, but those aren't the God that we serve. God is calling us to a life of service and witness and sacrifice, in the name of Jesus, and in his, like, and he's worth it. That is a huge, I knew that was a big scripture. The Lord has just hit me right now how big that is. Wow. Okay, that'll be one for us to chew on all week, Acts 4.29. So they pray for that, and then they ask for signs and wonders and miracles as well. In verse 30, it says, God, and you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders being performed in Jesus' name. You know why I love that prayer? You know why I love them asking for that? It's because they're not asking for themselves. It's through the name of Jesus. You know what that tells me? They say, God, we want all this to happen, but it's not about us. Someone read my sermon notes, right? You were ahead of me. It's not about us. It's not about our glory and the signs, wonders, and miracles. They're not the be-all, end-all. They're not the party trick. It's nothing like that at all, but they're part of the puzzle. They're part of the testimony about who Jesus is, and they say, Lord, we're going to do our thing. Help us do our thing, but God, we're inviting you to come and do your thing. That's why I love that prayer right there. So let's just sum that up and capture that so far. The heat is on for the early church. They're not comfortable. It's no longer convenient to be a follower of Jesus. At that point, many people probably would self-select out and they would say, well, I rode that wave as far as it's gonna carry me, but now that there's no direct, immediate, visible benefit I'm gonna pull out, that's not what these guys did. God's people come together, they pray together, they ask the Lord, they, they go to the vertical, they bring in the scriptures, they ask for boldness, they ask for God to do his thing. They double down on what's important is what I'm saying. And again, I wonder, is that our heart when things get tough? Particularly when things get tough in relation to us walking with Jesus and we come into something that's gonna make it more difficult to walk with Jesus. Is that our heart? Lord, help us on that today. Now, let's talk about what God did. 
He did lots. Here's what God did. Let's read verse 31 to verse 37 right here. Okay, so they made that prayer together. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, somebody say power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, he's a figure we're going to see quite a bit as we go through the book of Acts, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's what God did in that text we just read. He showed up for them. At a high level, that's what he did. And all this stuff that we've read and are going to talk about, this is not like some magic formula. God is not a genie in the lamp that if we just rub the lamp or say some chant or do some religious activity, God is forced to show up and act a certain way. We can't tell God what to do. He does whatever he wants. But what this is, this is God's people earnestly seeking him and him showing up. I'll remind you, it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, God said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, right, and approach me and ask me and and submit themselves unto me, God says, I'm gonna show up for them. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this is exactly what he does. God is faithful to his promise. So here's what he does. I got six things. No, yeah, six things for you. But what God did here, the first thing, he brought a shaking. Now say shaking, Shaken all over. He literally, this is a literal shaking. When they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. This is like an earthquakey type of thing right here. This is a sign of God's presence. This is a sign of God showing up. This didn't happen to be some random geological event. No, this is God showing up. Now, even if there had been no physical earthquake, God can also do a spiritual shaking and, 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 a, and a heart shaking and a shaking of your circumstances. I want to just focus on that. God's shaking means he shows up and he does something, okay? And God shows up and brings a shaking when there is a need for a new path forward to be forged. When they're in a situation where there seems no way forward, God will come in, he will shake up the ground, and he'll make a way. That's what he does. If you've ever seen footage maybe in real life i don't know i don't want to see it in real life but if you've witnessed an earthquake or like a landslide or a mudslide or whatever you know how that goes the road or the path goes a certain way but then after the mudslide rolled through now it's all different now the path forward looks totally different that's a shaking here i'll remind you these believers it seemed like they had no way forward no obvious way forward no easy way forward and here god shows up and he does a shaking When you have a need and you need something to shift and you can't see your way forward and you're not sure what's coming next and you don't know what to do and where to plant your feet and what actions to take, seek the Lord for a shaking. He has a way of doing things. I'll give you an example, generalizing. He kind of did this and he used something like COVID. Here's what I mean. 
You can think whatever you want to think about COVID, by the way. That's not my point. But what happened is, in my estimation, before COVID started, there were a lot of churches that were kind of just existing, going along, plodding through, kind of head down, working away. I won't say going through the motions, but like to some extent that was kind of happening in a lot of churches. And then COVID started, and all of a sudden all the things we were doing we weren't allowed to do anymore. Halt. Grind to a stop. And now what do we do? I don't know. We got to figure that out. Maybe we should pray and ask God what we're supposed to do. And what COVID did is it really shook things up. Not just in the church. I mean, everywhere. But let's just talk even in the church. All of a sudden, people were praying and asking the Lord, what do we do? All of a sudden, some people were self-selecting out, right? There was this thing about, you know, I used to go to church and now I haven't been able to go to church for, you know, three months and I've decided that I didn't really care that much about it anyway and I'd rather just sleep in and stay in my pajamas. And I'm not saying that's good, but a lot of people did that. A lot of people self-selected out. Also, there were people during COVID who really doubled down and said, wow, this is serious and Lord, my routine's totally thrown off, but I gotta seek you and we've gotta seek you as a church. And it really saw a lot of shakeup and a lot of change in churches. Unfortunately, it accelerated some churches closing. But some churches came out of COVID way stronger because God did this shaking and whoa, and it got our attention. And now we've got to seek him and take this seriously. I believe you can feel free to disagree. I think that's what happened in our church. Things are way different now than they were five years ago. I'm just telling you that because God came and he shook everything up like a bottle of pop and then you take the lid off, right? Okay, now here's my point. Some things are bigger than you, right? We like to think we're strong and we're in control. Sometimes we're not. Literally, there are times we say, I, I need a change in my life and I don't know if I can bring forth that change. Something needs to change or people around me need to change or my circumstances need to change, but I'm in a rut and I can't change it on myself. God can change it. God can bring the shaking. He can change whatever he wants to change. Even like the culture of a church, you say, I don't know what I can do. Maybe you can do very little, but God can do a lot. I'll give you another example from our church years ago. And in saying this, here's the star next to this, I in no way am intending to badmouth anything that happened in generations past by any means. Man, we are where we are today because there have been godly people that have worked and have served in our church and have done a lot, so we need to be thankful for that. There's a reason, like our church is 120-something years old now, and that, right, that happens because people pick up on the rope and take it seriously and go for it. Anyway, Probably like 15 years ago, our church, I've been around for a while in our church, and somebody laughed when I said that. Why was that funny? We'll talk later, you and I. Just kidding. Our church was kind of struggling a little bit, in a sense. There was not like big fights or big drama or whatever. We were just kind of struggling to get momentum going. And in our church, and I think a lot of churches back in those days, there was, the culture was a little bit of... I won't say it was like a straight-up religious spirit, but there was a little bit of the, like, look, we come together on the weekend, wear your Sunday best, make it look like you all got it going on, and if you have problems and issues, like, maybe don't bring those up. Like, we just got to make it look like we're, you know, in good appearance here kind of thing. Strongly generalizing, obviously. Um, but there were people in our church who probably 15 years ago said, there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be something we're missing. And they pressed in in prayer. And they said, Lord, what do you want us to do? 
And the Lord started stirring in their heart. And they brought it to the leadership. And to the credit of the leadership, they listened. And what God led us to do as a church is he led us to do a program called Celebrate Recovery. Anybody heard of CR before? That was not someone just going, I don't know, let's try something new. That was through prayer. And God, what do you want us to do? And I want to tell you something. The culture of our church changed almost instantly when we started CR. Because all of a sudden, by the way, CR is a 12-step. It's a Christian 12-step program. And the whole thing about it is uh, it's to help with your habits, hurts, and hang-ups. And it was a great ministry. We don't even do it anymore. It was for a season. But God got us to do that. Because people were serious and pressing in and seeking him, he put that on our hearts, and we did it. And all of a sudden, it was kind of okay not to be okay in our church. And that doesn't mean you celebrate and glorify your sin, like, oh, I'm, I'm a mess, and I do this, but I'm just going to keep doing it. It was, no, I'm struggling, and I'm asking for help. Oh, and this person sitting next to me, hey, you're also struggling. You're not perfect either. Oh, maybe we should walk together through this. It changed the culture of our church overnight instrumental. And I believe we are where we are now. All these years later, we're still reaping the rewards of being faithful as God led us to start CR. I really do. Because there's a culture in our church now of none of us are perfect, right? These sections here, these are for the imperfect people. The perfect people, they got to go to church outside somewhere, out in the cold, okay? God brought that about no, no single person could have approached that and just changed the culture at the snap of their finger. God brought the shaking. And we're super blessed because of it. Anyway, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not sure what your need is. But if you are ready to submit to God and do things his way and surrender to him, he will show up and he'll bring whatever shaking he needs to make a way forward for you. I guarantee that to be true over your circumstance this morning. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's faithful. He'll bring a shaking. Second thing God did here is this. He filled these people with his spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 31. Now, we've talked about this before. When you become a Christian, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, when you repent of your sin, and we read, you know, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, all of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? We've talked about that. So you receive the Spirit when you get saved. If you're a Christian, by default, you have the Holy Spirit. And we've talked in the past as well about God also wants us to not just have the Holy Spirit, but to be filled ongoing with the Holy Spirit. This is to, this is to invite and allow the presence and the power of God to work through you and flow through you. And when that happens, powerful things of God happen in our lives and all around us. That's what happens when we're filled with the Spirit, because it's the Spirit in those moments living in us that's governing us and leading us. It's not us in our flesh. It's not us with my own bright ideas. The Holy Spirit is guiding us and strengthening us, and He can do all of those things way better than you can do them. So we need to be filled with the Spirit. And here it says that all of them were filled with the Spirit. All of them, not just a couple. God poured out His Spirit and filled all of these people as they came together and pressed into the Lord together. The third thing God did is this. He gave them boldness. You might remember, they had asked Him to do that. They prayed for boldness in verse 29. And it says they were filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You know what that tells me? God answered their prayer. You need to know something. God always answers prayer. He doesn't always 
give us exactly what we ask for or when we ask for it, which is probably good because he knows better. But he always answers. And here he answered. Here he did give them a yes. And he did give it to them immediately. I, I just love that. They pray for boldness. That suggests to me there's probably some fear involved. And I'll be honest, I'd probably be fearful. If someone said to me, Braden, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to arrest you or we're going to do X, Y, Z to you, there'd be at least a little bit of me that would be fearful. But they don't let that govern them. They seek the Lord and they ask for him to deal with that. And he does. He gives them the boldness. Some of you guys are governed by fear in your lives. This is where I expected some of you to start just kind of sinking in your chair a little bit, right? Maybe it's having to do with your witness and, and your testimony and telling others about Jesus. It's okay if the fear is there. This is not a word of shame and condemnation. It's a word of invitation. Some of you are governed by fears in other areas. Maybe your health or money or a relationship or the economy or you watch the news too much and that brings about a whole bunch of stuff that freaks you out. I don't know what it is. But the point is, God does not want us to be governed by fear. If you are governed by fear, what that's going to do to you, it's going to be a shackle around your foot and it's going to hold you in place and you're not going to move forward. I'll remind you that God has stuff for you to do. God has good works for you to do. God wants you to be a witness. God does not call us to sit on the sidelines shackled by fear. So that means if that is you and you are wrestling and grappling with that, you got to do something about it. And here's the good news. It's not just try harder or suck it up, buttercup. Talk to God about it. They ask the Lord for boldness and he answers and he gives them boldness. We need to see boldness rise in the family of God. We need boldness as believers. We need boldness as the church. Not just to go out and to testify about Jesus. Yes to that, but we need to be bold in all areas of our lives. Because greater is he living in us than he was in the world. We don't need to be governed by fear. Stop giving in to fear. Stop holding back from the Lord if you're fearful. That's not the answer. That helps no one. But take it to the Lord, and he'll answer that. Number four, I love this one. What God did here, he forged deeper community in the church, right? So the heat is on. How are we going to go forward? We don't know. He actually made their community even stronger. And it was already pretty strong. We've already talked about that in the book of Acts already. But here they dive in even further. It says in verse 32, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. That is legendary. I love that. That's talking about unity. Somebody say unity. unity. Here's the thing with unity. Unity is not something that we can just grab onto like, oh, I'm walking down the aisle in the store and here's the milk and the eggs and we'll take some unity. We'll have that in the church. No, Unity happens as a byproduct. It happens as a result of other things happening. It's a gift from God. And unity happened here because all of the people prioritized the Lord and prioritized each other and they came together and they sought the Lord together and as a result, God unified them even more. See that? Everyone is on the same page. Like I say, I've been in the church a long time. Sometimes I've seen pretty good unity. 
we're in a season of that right now, by the way, which is awesome. Sometimes unity is a little harder to come by, and we have to kind of grapple with it and wrestle for it and fight for unity. And I read that verse, and I see that full, total, amazing, beautiful unity is possible, and that gets me very excited. Because Jesus even said, a house that is divided will not stand. If there's not unity in the church, and I'm not even just talking about, oh, we happen to not hate each other, right? I mean, that's a good start. I'm talking about everyone pulling the same direction, though, and showing up and loving each other and doing all of this. Jesus said, a house that is divided will not stand, but I also believe that a kingdom that is unified, nothing can stop it. And there it was. They, they also showed up to love one another. It says that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Again, that's a mark of the Holy Spirit right there. Because I know what I'm like in the flesh. That's mine. Hands off. Back away. Or I'll sick my dog on you. Right? But there it is. Verse 34 to 37 also talks about how there was not a needy person among them. As many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Joseph, who was called Barnabas, he sold a field. He brought the money to the apostles' feet. This is incredible. This is the church showing up to meet needs in one another's lives. This is amazing. And we've talked about this too. It's great You know, if it's a small need, oh, that person needs five bucks and I have five bucks and I'll give them five bucks and I probably won't miss it. That's great. Let's do those things. But notice the extent of what they were going to to take care of each other. Selling their homes. Again, not legalistic. This is not saying when you go home, automatically you gotta sell your house. No, but this is what the Lord was leading them to do in order to take care of each other. This was sacrificial. Do you think you would miss your house if you didn't have it to live in anymore? I probably would. Your car would only be so comfortable for so long, right? Sacrificial. And this was normal in the church. Going to that extent to take care of your brothers and sisters in the faith was normal. Amazing, amazing. And I'm saying, like, imagine being a part of that. That level of community. There's nothing like that on the earth apart from the church. This is next level. And you know what I'm really excited about? We've tasted and seen this in our church too. Like we've started to get onto this as well. I've seen you guys. I have seen and heard the stories and some of them, you've said it to me about, hey, this person had a need and this person like gave up several thousand dollars to meet the need. I've heard that. I've heard stories of that in our church. I, I think I referenced this a few weeks ago. Someone told me the other week, just a few weeks ago, they said, I was gonna take a trip to Cuba next year, but you know what? I don't really need to go and there's a certain thing I have in my mind. I'd be willing to like not go to Cuba and, and spend that money. It was several thousand dollars. I, I've seen people give up their time which don't, don't despise that. Giving up your time, your time is a precious commodity. Some of you are very sacrificial with your time. 
amazing just to look after other people and come alongside them and build them up. This is fantastic. We're growing into this. So I love that I can read that in Acts 4 and go, and I don't have to go, oh my word, we're like a 180 of that. We're so far off. God's doing this work in us. I'm really excited. Can we thank him for that, please, just right now? All of that happened as a result of the Holy Spirit stirring them and leading them through that trial they were going through. The pressure was on and this was still allowed to grow out of it. Amazing. Number five, I got just five and six and then I'm out. Number five, God displayed his power. Somebody say power again. With great power, verse 33 says, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. The great power part. Remember, they had prayed about that as well. They had asked God, stretch out your hand to heal. Signs and wonders being performed through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's power. And it was happening. God answered their prayer again. They prayed. They wanted the power of God to be on display. They had asked for that. It wasn't for them. It wasn't for their own benefit. It wasn't for their glory, but for his And you know what? I believe if we take on that same posture today, God, it's not about us, but come and do your thing for your glory, for your kingdom. We take on that posture. I firmly believe that we will see this in our day as well. Signs, wonders, miracles, the power of God. These are not just things that existed back then and they don't exist anymore. I believe greater things are still to come in our church, in our day. Let's add, yeah. Yes. The sixth thing that God did, and this is just an awesome just way to cap this off, God gave them favor. It says great grace was upon them all. Again, just remember, they're in the pressure cooker. Things are, are difficult right now. How are we going to go forward? It's, it's going to be hard if we go this way. It's going to be bad if we go this way. What do we do? God gave them grace. Grace is unmerited favor, by the way. It's you get something good that you didn't necessarily deserve. And I love that it doesn't really expand on what this looks like, the great grace being on them. But what that means is that God showed up and he blessed them and he took care of them and he provided for them. Again, he made a way for them. They were able to move forward even though the pressure of the situation indicated that it might not work out. God had grace for them. And I believe that God has grace for his church today in a world where uh, the world is getting more hostile against the church and against Christians. We might feel the squeeze more and more as we go forward. If God is working and moving, like we're going to see it. The opposition's going to come. But I'm praying for that grace to be on us. And I think it is on us. God is with us. God has been providing for us. God has been taking care of our needs because he's faithful. Amen? I want to leave you with this. Just a, a recap and a reminder of where we've been. The pressure was on for the early church. Are they going to keep going? Are they going to back away? They did not back away. They doubled down on what's most important. We need to double down on what's most important too. We need to seek the Lord. We need to seek him together. We need to be praying together. We need to be in each other's lives together as we seek Jesus together. And I know it's a little bit weird to read this proactively, right? When these guys were doing this, they were right in the midst of the heat. In my estimation, we as a church are presently not feeling like a ton of heat. But I want us to be armed with the word of God so that when, not if, but when it comes, we can be prepared. 
So don't just think, don't have the ivory tower mentality. Oh, well, that's nice. That was for them. They were in trouble. I'm not in any trouble. Hey, stay on guard. Because the heat will come for us. And I want us to be able to stand in that day. I want the quality of our church to be seen in that day that we stayed strong in the midst and the face of trouble and pressure. We need to seek the Lord. We need to be together in seeking the Lord. We need you. I would dare say you need us too. But we need you. All of us. Community. Every person matters. Every person is vital. As we draw near to God together and we just expect, not demand, but just anticipate and expect and trust that he's going to show up.